Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm your host, Amy Kluber. In light of Black History Month, we are celebrating with a somewhat special episode. It's the first of a series we are doing to profile the incredible work in health IT research from academic communities nationwide. Health disparities and equity are major areas that underpin various initiatives across many public health agencies, including initiatives incorporating health IT. Our coverage has consistently reported on government efforts to bridge this divide. Especially during the pandemic, we've heard how rural communities have faced growing needs for better connectivity and telehealth capabilities, how health disparities across certain racial and ethnic groups are perhaps more vulnerable to the virus, and opportunities that technology has in overcoming these challenges and more. What you'll hear today is a look into one organization that is hoping to bring opportunities in government contracting and health IT to historically Black colleges and universities, or what we'll refer to as HBCUs. The group, called Tougaloo College Research and Development Foundation, aims to align HBCUs with federal research contracts via a consortium. President of the foundation is John Rosenthal, who details for us his mission to release the geniuses, as he says, and to provide the missing infrastructure to aid these institutions in managing government contracts. Joining him and us is Vice President Jennifer Johnson, an attorney and leader in public policy work. Throughout this episode, she really outlines for us the statistics around HBCUs and government contracting. The numbers paint a stark reality of the opportunities in this space and why it matters in government contracting overall. With this mini-series, which will continue on our sister podcast, HealthCast, we hope to shed light on some of the amazing work and research underway across HBCUs nationwide, those dealing with technologies like artificial intelligence, for instance. It's really important that the spotlight on such efforts at these institutions remains ever-present in our coverage, and we aim to tell those stories indefinitely. I'm Jennifer Johnson. I serve as vice president of the Tougaloo College Research and Development Foundation. I work out of the Tougaloo, Mississippi area, which is located in central Mississippi in the Jackson, Mississippi area. I'm an attorney by trade, had a long career practicing law, and for about the last, ooh, gosh, it's going on 15 years now, longer than I'd like to admit, <laughs> I've been working on policy work. And so I'm very happy to be working with TCRDF, and I've been working with the foundation for about four years now. I'm John Rosenthal. I serve as the president of the Tougaloo College Research and Development Foundation. Like Jennifer, I attended law school and practiced for a few years, but most of my career has been spent working with or for historically Black colleges and universities. At the Research Foundation, I have overall responsibility, but the majority of my time is focused on assembling and managing partnerships between historically black colleges and universities and other research institutions to improve their participation in federal government research and contracts. As John mentioned, this has been a great deal of his life's work. And under former President Dr. Beverly Hogan, she's now since retired, she retired a couple of years ago, the TCRDF was formed. And Dr. Hogan literally had a vision to not only have the foundation provide this service of seeking out and capturing research and contracting opportunities for Tougaloo College, 
But she also directed us not to provide this service just for Tougaloo College, but for as many HBCUs as possible. And that was generally for two principal reasons. Most HBCUs are small liberal arts colleges without an office that's dedicated to capturing these contracting opportunities. Many HBCUs have grants offices and Office of Sponsored Programs and Title III, so they're familiar with the grants process, but very few, you will find very few HBCUs that are familiar with the federal contracting process. It's just a different world. It's completely different, and they just don't spend a lot of time working in that area. Even some of the larger HBCUs who do some contracting, you know, their offices are completely different. It's not at all uncommon for a grants office on an HBCU campus to have a staff of one or two. You're lucky if you have three. And when you, by comparison to our majority colleagues at majority institutions in a grants office, there could be as many as a staff of 25 or 30. And so when you're talking about having someone on campus whose job it is to every day focus on seeking out and finding those federal contracting and research opportunities, I mean, those, that person just generally doesn't exist on an HBCU campus. Whereas, again, if by comparison to our, H, our majority colleagues at majority institutions, you know, they may have literally a staff of hundreds, depending on the type, the amount of contracting work that they do at majority campuses. So we just don't have the personnel. So Dr. Hogan said, we need to provide this service for all of the HBCUs. And so we formed an HBCU Research and Contracts Consortium. And John and I provide that back office support for the consortium. So we seek out contracting opportunities. We share them with the consortium. We place personnel on campuses together. We find the subcontracting opportunities within the private sector and with large federal government contractors, all of these things on behalf of the HBCUs. And so by forming a consortium, these smaller HBCUs can harness you know, their collective talent in a way that's more attractive to the federal agencies and large federal government contractors. Wow, that is great. So it certainly sounds like you are filling a hole because you don't really hear a whole lot of efforts being done to really connect these types of academic communities with government. Exactly. And, you know, it's for a lot of reasons. I mean, HBCUs generally are focused on educating the students. It's not at all uncommon on an HBCU campus to have a department head who's teaching four, five, six classes a semester, a department head. That just you know is not at all common on majority campuses. Similarly, having the, the research time, the leave time to conduct research is just so impossible because HBCUs are doing so much to educate students with so little in terms of personnel and resources that it's very uncommon to have a department head or a professor on, a, on an HBCU campus who has the luxury of taking a year or even two years off to conduct some research. But by us providing that services to them, we're able to write in assistance for the professors on campus so that they can then have that leave time to conduct this research. So, you know, just there's so many benefits to the work that we provide that, you know, HBCU campuses could never even imagine being able to do. They want to do the research. They have tremendous talent on campus. But just because of the way that they are so lean, it's just so hard for them to participate in the federal contracting sphere. In addition to that, 
it's difficult for the program officers in federal agencies and the researchers and contractors and federal government contractors to get to know HBCU professors, HBCU researchers, and their capabilities. Because most faculty members don't have the luxury of attending professional conferences or spending a substantial amount of time having conversations with program officers in the federal agency. So the professors lack the knowledge and the experience in these agencies. They lack the knowledge of their operating procedures. They lack the knowledge of their problems. They lack the knowledge of their challenges. Therefore, they cannot provide solutions to those challenges and problems, and they don't fare as well in competitive research proposals because they don't know how the agencies operate and they haven't spent a a significant amount of time with them to be able to relate to their problems in a very significant way. So I'm stationed in Washington, D.C. area, and so I spend time with federal agencies, with Congress, with administration people to get a better feel for how the agencies operate and how HBCUs can provide them solutions. And that service is provided to all the schools. In this manner, a school in rural Louisiana or rural Arkansas uh, does not need to D.C. all the time, but can take advantage of the services that we offer and our connections in Congress and the federal agencies. That's great. So you're basically bridging that gap between government contracting and the HBCUs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll find that, again, as John mentioned, that the agencies will reach out, they'll have seminars and they'll have events where they give a broad overview of contracting opportunities, but it's not at a level, like John mentioned, where the agencies can fully understand the challenges and the operations at HBCUs, and HBCUs don't have the ability to attend every conference or to have these detailed conversations with program managers at these agencies. So yeah, it's a crucial link that we provide to the federal government on behalf of HBCUs. So taking into account the foundation and then as well as the consortium that you created and talked about earlier, what are some of those ultimate goals? You know, what would you look back on to think, you know, this is mission accomplished? Well, one of the things we want to do is to increase the level of participation of HBCUs in the federal contracting process. Many HBCUs do not participate at any appreciable level. And when I say many, there's probably 10 or so out of the 104 HBCUs that have significant, and when I talk about significant, I'm saying, you know, maybe $10 million, $5 to $10 million in federal contracting opportunities. So that's one of the things. We want to increase the numbers of federal contracting opportunities to HBCUs. Another opportunity that we want to do is to convince Congress to require some some majority institutions that have a special designation to conduct at least 10% of their work with one or more HBCUs. And that designation is UARC. You know, the federal government is a wash in acronyms, but this acronym is UARC, University Affiliated Research Centers. And there's another designation, FFRDC, Federally Funded Research and Development Centers. That is a special designation provided to academic institutions of higher education by the United States Congress. This has been a designation that's been awarded to certain institutions for decades. And so these institutions are able to receive sole source, non-competitive contracts, which means if the government has a 
$1 billion contract or $2 billion contract, they can simply award that to that particular institution. None of the HBCUs have this particular designation. And given that these institutions have had a you know, 40 to 50 year jump on HBCUs in this process, it's unlikely that one will be des- receive this designation anytime soon. But what we are saying is HBCUs turn out valuable, highly skilled work, research, students, graduates every year, and we are able to participate in some of these contracts opportunities. And so what might happen is you have one of these UARCs or FFRDCs that has a sole source contract award from the federal government, and they are able to meet with us, you know, understand our the capabilities of our institutions in our consortium, and then have a meet and greet with our scientists, with their scientists, and then figure out a way for our HBCUs to participate as subcontractors on some of these particular contracts that are awarded to these institutions. So that's one of the things that we want to do. And I'll just tell you, if you'll allow me just to get in the weeds just a little bit with some of the numbers. Sure, I love weeds. (laughs) For example, UARCs receive $16.3 billion, UARCs and FFRCDs, $16.3 billion in sole source awards. That means they were non-competitive. They just received these awards in 2019. And there's nothing that is appreciable that was awarded to HBCUs as subcontractors. And so that 10% of that would just mean so much to HBCUs of that number. And we think that's a small number. It would take an act of Congress to do that in the authorization, defense authorization bill. But that's something that we think the Congress can certainly review and take a look at. And there it's doable. Another thing I want to talk to you about in terms of numbers is just the disparity in contracting opportunities between majority institutions and HBCUs. So when you look at some research that the National Science Foundation conducted, we're talking about their science and engineering support that's given across the board to HBCUs. That number was roughly $320 million for fiscal year 2018. That's the latest numbers that we have, right? And so when you look at the number that was awarded to all institutions, majority institutions included, that number is $35 billion, right? Just north of $35 billion. So compare that to roughly $320 million for all HBCUs. So just the disparity is just staggering in the opportunities. And when you break it down and you look at the awards to the individual HBCUs, the top HBCU receiving a portion of that $320 million received just about $24 million in contracting awards, right? $24 million, which is a lot. That's a tremendous amount for one HBCU. However, the majority institution that was number 100 on that list received nearly four times that amount. That institution received $87 million, just north of $87 million in federal contracting opportunities. And when you take another look at that list, the number 33 institution on the list received $318 million. That's just about all of the HBCU funding combined. So the number 33 school on that list received as much money as all HBCUs combined Opportunities. So we've got to change these numbers for institutions because 
you know, there we are able to do the work. We can participate. We can compete. We can provide valuable resources and add value to the work that's being done. But we've got to be able to get in this to have a participation in this program and provide that work. Wow. I mean, that really breaks it down when you start talking about the numbers and taking that into account. Do you think there's more that can be done, you know, between the designations and the organizations not even knowing about them or don't even have the designations yet? Is it a good start or is there more that can be done from your point of view? There is. That's a good part of John's work. So, John, I'm going to let you take that one. Thank you, Jennifer. There's a lot that can be done. We think the fastest and easiest way to improve HBCU competitiveness and, and competition ability is by forming these partnerships. Some of the schools, as Jennifer mentioned earlier, lack the infrastructure to manage really, really big awards. So by providing these partnerships with institutions that have done this for years, we can build the capacity of the HBCUs to manage the awards. And forming these partnerships is not that, should not be difficult at all. In fact, Congress has been promoting HBCU majority seven institution partnerships for over 30 years. They have included that authority in the National Defense Authorization Act for years. But it's authority. It is not a requirement. And in order to go from authority to say these partnerships are good ideas to these partnerships coming into being will require a mandate from Congress. And one of our goals is to have Congress mandate that these institutions provide at least 10% of their work with one or more HBCUs, as Jennifer said earlier. That is not the easiest thing to do as well. The majority of institutions must search out and find the HBCUs they want to deal with, the ones with the competency and experience and interest to handle the tasks that the majority of institutions have. They must take a realistic effort. And quite frankly, a lot of some have, but they fail. So in some cases, they need an honest broker with some experience in HBCUs, understand the HBCUs, who can pull together the appropriate HBCU to work on the desired task. And that can happen. Now, we focus on the Department of Defense because that's where Congress has really focused on for developing these partnerships. There are a number of retired military officers, including high-ranking officers, uh, generals, flag officers, who graduated from HBCUs, who have an allegiance to HBCUs, who have a clear understanding of how the Department of Defense works, obviously, because they became generals, and are available to support HBCUs as they pursue opportunities in the federal sector. A number of these entities, individuals rather, have joined what we call our Business Advisory Board. And they are here to help HBCUs gain entry into the Pentagon and other agencies to understand the challenges and the problems, to help fashion solutions, and then to serve as subject matter experts for HBCUs as they pursue federal government opportunities, specifically the Department of Defense, and as they conduct the research and the contracts for the Department of Defense. And the beauty of these retired officers is that they know a lot of the program officers with responsibilities. And because they've held some of those jobs themselves, they recognize the challenges. And because they understand military speak, they speak the language. But I believe the most important thing they bring is credibility, credibility to the project. Because if a retired general is on a project, the program officer can rest assured 
that the project will be completed professionally, on time, and within budget. And that is the type of experience and excellence that our board brings to HBCUs across the country. That's fantastic. You mentioned defense and the work there and work left to be done. Are there any other areas you see being most susceptible to the strong impacts that HBCUs can have? You know, those public-private partnerships, are there any areas that they can advance? We've seen how valuable academia has had, the valuable impact they have had in this pandemic, for example. So are there any other areas? Absolutely. We have, as John mentioned, we work closely with the Department of Defense, but we also work with uh, National Institutes of Health, National Science Foundation, Energy, Department of Labor. So we work with all agencies in finding these research opportunities. You know, certainly there's more and more research that is going to be, that has been currently underway with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on communities of color and its impact on other communities, isolated communities, indigenous communities across the country and, and even the world. And there are also a number of health disparities and uh, programs that have been existing and ongoing for quite some time. So there's absolutely opportunities. Tougaloo, even though, for example, Tougaloo is a small liberal arts college, but we turn out and have historically turned out just about 40% of the medical professionals in the state of Mississippi <laughs> for you know, it's years. We turn out medical professionals, even though we are a liberal arts college. So we focus heavily on the STEM curriculum. And so there's opportunities for partnerships with the federal government. There's opportunities for partnerships with the private sector, with artificial intelligence and machine learning, and these companies wanting to eliminate bias in their products. Those things can easily be eliminated or addressed with the participation of HBCU students and campuses and professors. So absolutely, there's a way that we can provide valuable research for those. One of the things that is unique to this area, and I hope that you will, you will take an opportunity to take a closer look at, is the Jackson Heart Study. This is a study that's been going on for a couple of decades now in Jackson, Mississippi. This one is the largest single-site community-based epidemiologic investigation of environmental and genetic factors associated with cardiovascular disease among African Americans ever undertaken by the federal government. It's got long data and wide data, and this has been going on for quite some time. And Tougaloo is a participant in the Jackson Heart Study, an integral part of it, including a high school student program and an undergraduate student program and Jackson State University, which is also an institution here in the Jackson, Mississippi area. They have been an integral part of the Jackson Heart Study as well in a graduate training program. So those are just two that are going to provide invaluable information in terms of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, I think they're doing as well. For and it's an impact on the African American community here in the United States in the Mississippi area, but extrapolate that to the United States. And Amy, the the real thesis of our existence is releasing the genius found at HBCU campus through expanded innovation. Under the current constraints and infrastructure, inadequate infrastructure at HBCUs, HBCU geniuses pin up and can be released through partnerships, as we mentioned earlier. You know, if we examine almost any walk of life. 
whether in the science, whether it's in athletics, whether it's in music, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in entertainment. We have seen HBCUs rise to the top, HBCU graduates rise to the top. So that genius is on the campus, but how do we release that genius is what we are focused on doing right now. Releasing the geniuses. I really like that. That's an amazing phrase. Thank you. Taking into account some of these notable projects or success stories that you've mentioned, are there any that are most exciting to you or that are something that we should be looking out for on the horizon? Other than the Tougaloo Jackson Heart Study, other than that, yes, <laughs> there are some. There are some. It's- there are tremendous strides being done, literally at HBCUs across the board. There is the, of course, the Cancer Treatment Center at uh, Hampton University. And then there's some amazing research being done at North Carolina Central University on pancreatic cancer. Uh, Young Brother is doing that research down there. And there are other research activities going on across the board in nutrition uh, at some of our uh, land-grain institutions that would really be elevating uh, the nation. But they are depressed in terms of being able to get out, being able to be exposed to the marketplace. And that is one of the things that we are examining as well. Uh, Several years ago, uh, maybe three years ago, we started examining patents on HBCU campuses. And we found one institution holds over 100 patents right now, but they've never carried a single patent to the marketplace. So the genius is there. If you examine the patents across the globe, across the country rather, at HBCUs, you will find a significant number of patents. Even at Tougaloo College, there are patents. But the ability to carry those patents from concept to idea to proof of concept to marketplace is just so difficult and almost impossible, literally bound by experience and finances. Uh, They can't come to the marketplace. Well, with the partnerships, the right partnerships, that genius can be exposed. And that's, that's really part of our mission. Wow, that's amazing. What about the member organizations or the communities that you work with? What has been their response? You know, are they, are they eager to work with government or what have you been hearing from them? Yes, they are eager to work with government. I think, you know, initially when you approach an HBCU or when they are first approached by us, you know, the task is so daunting. Again, it's an area that they've not really been exposed to, so they don't really know how to approach it. But once they are able to understand the service that we provide, and I'll give you an example. We, um, last year, before the start of COVID, we were able to uh, conduct a meet and greet, almost, I hate to say this, but it's, it was almost like a speed dating, where we had our HBCU, several HBCUs and their representatives and the scientists from campus to meet with various scientists who are performing particular tasks under um, government contracts. So they had this work that they needed to do. And, you know, the question was, you know, whether or not this would be a good fit. And we had a day long meet and greet where our scientists at our campuses met with various scientists and they kind of went around from room to room to room and met with them. And without hesitation, the answer was yes. Oh my goodness, yes. That's exactly what we need. This is exactly what we need. Yes, yes. And so it's just a matter of making those matches, a matter of explaining to the government contractors that we have the talent, we have the genius, as John has mentioned, on our campus, we can provide this work, valuable work. And then also 
making it real for our campuses so that they understand this is not someone, you know, sending them to a, a seminar saying, look at our website and see all the opportunities that we have and send in a proposal and, you know, maybe you'll see, we'll you'll see you later. This is real to the campuses because now they are actually in touch with individuals, with universities that have actual contracts, they have actual work, they need the help, and they know that the majority campuses that hold these contracts want to work with them. And so I think, you know, it takes putting people together, literally putting people together or making a match, maybe, um, you know, match day would be a better analogy for it, but <laughs> but making those matches and making it real for our institutions, I think, helps them to to see and visualize that this is something that's real. Because when they go to a conference, it's just really daunting for them. You know, they say, you know, the federal government seems vast and wide, and it is. But, but we've shown them that we have the appropriate relationships and we have the vehicles to get them in there so they can do the things that they love to do. And that's research. And that's, you know, research and development. And that's science and engineering. That's all those things. So that's America. I think, yeah, that's, that's how things get done. And so I think that once we are able to make it real for our campuses, then, you know, they're fully bought in. They're fully bought in. Fantastic. Well, from both Jen and John, are there any closing words that you would like to say or anything we didn't touch on or a message that you would like to pass on to, you know, our government listeners? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for giving us this great opportunity. We really appreciate it. And I'd like to acknowledge that there are the many federal government program officers who are interested in supporting HBCUs because they see the value that HBCUs can bring to the table. Uh, they realize that all of the in innovation is not limited to predominantly white institutions. They would also like to diversify their workforce, and they would like to work to build that workforce the diversified workforce pipeline. That is what we want to do as well. And we really acknowledge and appreciate the program officers who are amenable to working with HBCUs. And we are here to serve as that honest broker, as I called it earlier, to connect the program officers to HBCUs and to find that technical assistance support for HBCUs where they may lack a full understanding of what the agency does, how the agency does it, and does not necessarily speak the agency's language and provide that those subject matter experts that can help the HBCUs perform in an excellent manner. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for discussing your the foundation and all this fantastic work. And, you know, personally, this was a complete eye-opening conversation. I had no idea about some of the things that you outlined for us. So I was happy to learn more about that. And I'm really looking forward to even digging into some of the, the work that's being done at the HBCUs. And I really appreciate the conversation and some of the work that you're doing to bring some of these innovative technologies and leaders and rising stars to government. So I think there needs to be more of that. So thank you. You're welcome. Absolutely. Thank you. We appreciate it. Don't forget to follow our mini series coming up on HealthCast. To keep in the loop about the next episode, head to governmentciomedia.com slash subscribe. There you can opt into alerts about new episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Are you in this space or working on a project we should know about? Let us know at newsletter at governmentcio.com. Plus, leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. This ensures our show continues to reach more listeners like yourself. Thanks for listening.
GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to our website. And please, if you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes. We continue to strive to help you connect with federal IT's top decision makers. Thanks for listening.